everybody. Welcome to the Free Ski Files podcast. I'm Nick Steers. Today's episode is a special one, folks. I've got the CEO of the Freeride World Tour, Nicholas Hale Woods, is here. And I'm stoked to have him because this is one of those podcasts, if there's anybody whose brain I would want to pick, it's probably this guy. The sport that we know and love, the Freeride World Tour, the qualifier system, the junior, all that stuff could be attributed to the ideas that were brought forward 25 years ago by Nicholas Hale Woods and by the folks at the Freeride World Tour. So this is a really interesting podcast in terms of getting some insight to the business side, what goes on behind the scenes. We're going to answer a lot of the questions that you have, that you may have had about certain aspects of the tour that you liked or didn't like. We get into all of it. So I hope I do right by you guys on this podcast. I know that if you guys had this guy's year, you'd probably have some questions for him as well. I hope I answer those ones. I think you're going to enjoy the podcast Without further ado, let's bring him in. This is Nicholas Hale Woods. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are live with Nicholas Hale Woods, CEO of the Freeride World Tour. Nico, are you there? Yes. Hello, Nick. Hi. Hey, thanks very much for your time today. Really appreciate it. With pleasure. Always, uh, always a pleasure to speak to North America. Go, go figure it would be difficult to get a hold of the CEO of the Freeride World Tour during a global pandemic. What could you possibly be busy with right now? Uh, <laughs> right now, we are discussing with, with uh, local authorities in, in Switzerland um, to hopefully um, stage a, a qualifier in Verbier, the, the Verbier Freeride Week, uh, second week of January with uh, three qualifying events and one junior events. And um, things are tightening up in uh, in Europe and in Switzerland, and uh, we're not sure yet that we'll have the authorizations to to hold this week at this date. So um, tight tight negotiations. So giving giving the the audience who might be in North America perspective of what's happening in Europe right now. I've I've been to Verbi. I've done the free ride week before. I understand. You know, it's a, it's. It's a European event that people come from all over Europe and sometimes from all over the world to, to participate in that qualifier event. What is the scene on the ground in Europe right now? There's obviously different regulations for this, for actually ski hills right now being open in various countries. Switzerland, to my understanding, being one of the only ones that is fully open. What is, what is the actual story right now in Europe? Uh, you, you're right. Switzerland, um, the uh, government, uh, central government and, and the cantonal governments, regional governments, um, have decided to um, open ski resorts. Verbier's running has opened a couple of weeks ago. Um, and as of the 20th of December, um, restaurants uh, will also be open in, in, in the Valley uh, region. Um, now, this could change as of tomorrow, uh, because as you know, um, things uh, evolve quickly with with the pandemic, um, and we hope it will it will still uh, be open for Christmas. But that will be um, the only country with Austria where uh, it will also be open uh, for the Christmas. Um, season but with a huge limitation which is um, hotels will be closed um, restaurants will be closed and and clearly that the germans uh, which represent um, approximately 80 percent of the of the um, customers and skiers in austria will, will not be able to do the trip for the christmas holiday so a big blow uh, for those resorts. And then in France, in Germany, and in Italy, um, as well as in Andorra, uh, the resorts will be simply closed till mid-January. Um, so um, tough, very tough for the, for the ski industry. So for you guys, being the Freeride World Tour, a world tour that goes to different countries and, and different continents for that matter, how do you navigate this? What has been the strategy for navigating this? It seems to me, just from the outside looking in, like perhaps what you guys said was we plan everything on paper as it would usually go, and then we modify it as the time comes? Or are you guys waiting to the final minute to plan things? What is the actual strategy on, on your side there? Uh, the, the strategy is indeed uh, to wait till... Um, oh to give the biggest chances uh, to those events to, to take place. 
Um, we we on on the world tour level, we waited till um, uh, mid November. Uh, to uh, decide if we would go and if we would confirm the, the, the event in Japan in Hakuba and the event in uh, Kicking Horse Golden BC. Um, and we spoke with our partners there and it, it seemed obvious that um, it would not be possible, um, mainly because of traveling restrictions and, and but mostly because of um, long quarantines um, that are mandatory um, and right. and 14 days uh, for 50 riders and and a staff of approximately 50 people um, was was simply not not realistic. So we agreed to with with our partners uh, to cancel the events uh, for 2021 and have been trying since to um, replace them with um, new events in in Europe. Uh, ID being to um, minimize um, travels be be between those events um, and, and to ideally even uh, have multiple events in the same country. So we've been talking to resorts in France, uh, in Austria, and we had, uh, we had very good leads till 10 days ago when the, the French government and the, and the German government said um, we should close all uh, ski resorts in Europe for the Christmas period. And as of that day, which means that uh, a lot of these resorts will lose uh, between 20 and 30% of their turnover for, for next winter, um, suddenly the whole equation had changed and our, our discussions with them are, are frozen. Uh, we, we still have some hopes to, to be able to add an event or two uh, in between the Andorran Ordino event at the end of February, the uh, Aust Austrian event in, in Salbach-Fieberbrunn uh, early March and the Verbier final uh, at the end of March. Um, and as you said, we we have our events planned, and we we have a detailed uh, timeline when we know uh, when we have to make calls, uh, so that um, our costs are covered uh, by our revenues, and that's um, that's a fine line um, financial <laughs> management. Um, I'm sure. Yeah. Which means which means there's. There's a, a decision to be made at D minus 30, so a month before the event. And then it's a question of, uh, do we reasonably have a chance to hold the event? If yes, okay, we take the risk and wait till D minus 10 before the, 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 the athletes and the riders actually uh, make their way to the, to, to the country. Um, and then uh, we even have a, a plan where uh, what happens if if the event is is cancelled the day before the the event so um, we need to be ready with those scenarios and uh, it those scenarios need to have a budget that uh, is balanced and um, that's the that's the new and additional flexibility um, um, sports events organizers have to have to deal with these days no doubt. So uh, as we stand right now, we do have three events that seem to be, uh, obviously things are so fluid at the moment, but we have three events. If you go to the Freeride World Tour website, that as we stand as of right now, December 2020, those three events are okay. They're scheduled to go. And that, yeah. like you said, was Andorra, Fever Brune, and Extreme Verbier. Yes. And then yes. the, other two, the other two events, we're working on it. And the, 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 as of right now, they will not take place in Japan. They will not take place at Kicking Horse. Will they take place at all? Still a work in progress. Exactly. Right. Okay. Well, that brings me back to Europe and to the qualifier tour. And you were talking about some of those events that are stacking up. Because I was looking at the calendar and it, it is January is rapidly approaching. And like you said, Verbia Free Ride Week is one of a few events that are scheduled to take place in Europe. Some of those other European events, obviously Free Ride Week is at Verbia, which is one of your, your key partners and in Switzerland, which is open. But some of those other events that were to take place in January, are they still a possibility that those events will happen in Europe or is, are, are, the, are cancellations about to be announced for some of those events? Uh, it's more about postponement. Um, typically, um, the first events uh, in Ubay, France, and, and La Rosière, France, um, 
organizers uh, have decided or are thinking of postponing um, uh, the events and not canceling them, um, which is very good because, uh, as we say, things can move in the wrong direction, but but they can also move in the in the north direction. Um, if if um, ski resorts open mid mid January. Uh, in France, in, it, it, it's it's good that an event which was scheduled early January can actually take place at the end of January. Um, right. They have this flexibility, and we are in contact with with all of them, obviously, so that um, uh, we don't have, for example, two four-star qualifiers happening on the same on the same weekend. Um, but um, we see we see a strong will from from all organizers to. To, to save their event, uh, even if this means uh, postponing it till till March or April. Right. Okay. Well, I want to go back to the beginning of this, and it, the timing couldn't have been worse for the beginning of the pandemic because it seemed like it lined up almost perfectly with the 25th anniversary of Extreme Verbier that was to happen. Uh, and having a podcast with Rena Barkred uh, a few weeks ago, from his take on it is that the Bec de Ross was in excellent shape and he said things were very close you know that all the athletes had arrived there just how close was it to being a go i mean this was all at the very beginning of the pandemic how close was that event in verbier to to actually happening um 48 hours um so we <clears throat> we held the fourth event um in of the season in in austria um and that was um, um, exactly, um, to be precise, it was on the on the ninth, um, on the eighth of of March. On the ninth, we we travelled back to Switzerland. The 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 Verbi event was was planned for for the twenty eighth, um, but on the tenth, the day after we arrived in Switzerland, we were um, invited by the local government for. Um, a, an information um, uh, meeting to all event organizers um, from the local government uh, telling, telling us what the latest news was about this COVID crisis that was starting to, to, um, to be there. And um, going out of this meeting, we thought, well, our event is in two and a half weeks. Um, this is long in terms of pandemia spreading options so if right. we have an option to advance the event let's try let's try to do it and within um, within 24 hours we spoke to the riders uh, we spoke to our suppliers um, and partners in verbier and uh, we saw that everybody could be there by the friday 13th for an event on the sunday 15th so um, we were we made the call on the on the Wednesday 11th to to call everybody in for the Friday and and hold the event on the Sunday, and as Rainer said, uh, the Big Day Host was um, was in really good shape and they were planning a, a sunny and cold day on 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 Sunday. So uh, we thought we could just um, slip it in and. On the Friday mid-afternoon, there was a conference from the, 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 the national government and um, they announced new measures which would still were still allowing the events to happen. But two hours later, the, the local government decided to be even stricter and cancel any sports events, professional or amateur. Um, and and even if it was a very low number of, of participants. So at 5 p.m., one hour before riders' meeting on, on Friday 13th, um, we understood that it was it was dead for, for this winter. Um, so we announced exactly what was happening to, to the riders at riders' meeting. Uh, we split the prize money um, equally, evenly between between the 32 riders. Um, we couldn't even have a, a party, and, and everybody basically went went home. And it was the beginning of the the lockdown in Switzerland on Saturday, the 14th of March. 
Oh man, that is painful to listen. Lucky Lucky Friday the thirteenth, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's it it it's I think also about last season and I think about the Extreme Verbi event in particular. And you know, there was that fantastic video that people can watch it still. It's on the YouTube page of the Freeride World Tour of the 25 candles on the Bec de Ross, and it was all the 25 icons of the Bec de Ross who, for those who haven't seen it, they went up at nighttime, had uh, headlamps on, and Dom Deher took a beautiful photo with the sky illuminated. And you have to see the video. Those were all part of celebrations of 25 years of extreme verbia. Is, is, that, to, is that off or is that to resume this? Is this season going to be 25 years of extreme verbia? Well, we, we very much hope that this season will be the, the 25th uh, edition and 25th anniversary okay. uh, with, with, with a one-year delay. Uh, we did shoot that, that piece uh, in February uh, uh, 2020, so a month before the event, and, and uh, the idea was to, to show it and, and to, to, have, to have it as part of the celebrations of uh, the 25th anniversary. And, um, well, the pandemic decided uh, otherwise, and... Um, We'll hopefully celebrate it in, in 2021. The next, the next edition will be the 25th anniversary, whenever it happens. Yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> so, so just keep it, keeping with Verbier, and I just, this is one thing I've always wondered, because like I mentioned to you, I've been there for the, for the Verbier Freeride Week events. They're fantastic, and everybody knows these iconic Extreme Verbier events are, are must-watch. How essential, how key a player has that relationship been to the longevity of the Freeride World Tour over the years? Oh, it, it's, been, it's been the essential reason why we are speaking today. Um, I was fortunate enough to, to go to Verbier um, uh, very young uh, with my grandma taking me uh, in the, in the off-piste there. And I fell in love with the resort, fell in love with the sport. Um, made it my home resort um, as of as of my teenage. Um, we we produced some some uh, videos and photos on the Bec de Ross in, in '94 and realized at that time that it was an, an exceptional mountain and an exceptional uh, amphitheater, a viewing point for the for spectators to 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 discover that very niche sport at that at that time. And uh, in addition to that, Verbier is um, a cool place, um, international place with a big apres-ski. So all the ingredients were there to, to produce uh, something strong. Um, we were then fortunate to, to have um, the resort following us on this crazy idea to have uh, snowboarders only at that time. Uh, start from the top of Bec de Ars, and, and Red Bull was uh, being launched in Switzerland at that time. So they became a, a big partner as of year one. And again, lucky that the first edition, uh, we had uh, pretty good snow and, and a good uh, weather window. And, and on, on that day, we realized that um, this, was, this was something special that would have potential for the, for the long term. And then Verbier, <clears throat> realized that this event was was um, a good investment in terms of, of of return, both on the media and, and and international communication side, but also on on direct economical impact, uh, i.e., uh, people coming to to watch the event or, or coming before or after the event to to experience the the, the riding in Verbier. So it's been um, it's been a growing ever-growing uh, partnership they are they are today um, the biggest partner in terms of financing the event and um, and and it's on that base that we created the freeride world tour with additional events around the world and, and verbier being the final and and just reminiscing about all that stuff obviously you probably get asked this question a lot but when you think back to that time and you look ahead to where it is now and probably where it's going was there ever a moment way back then where you could have envisioned that this would become a, a pro sports league that to the level of that it is today? Or was that never even part of the vision that you had? Um, it was quickly part of the vision. It wasn't before the first edition, but, um, but after the first edition in, in, so first edition was in 96 in 97, we were very close of uh, organizing for 98 a three three-stop 
tour uh, in, in Russia, in Alaska, and in Verbier. Uh, a NAPRAL uh, partner, O'Neill at that time, um, uh, had solid budgets, uh, and um, the marketing director was actually fired the day before they were they would have signed the contract. <laughs> <laughs> and and looking back at that, it was probably a good thing that we did not launch a tour uh, in in '98. But in ten years later, in 2008, uh, and and why is that? That is because the the market in general wasn't ready to to finance. Uh, professional events around the world. Um, and then 10 years later, um, brands like Audi, uh, well, actually it was Nissan at, at the, the beginning of the world tour, but but um, uh, big corporate companies would then imagine associating their, their image and investing in such sports, which would not have been the case 10 years earlier. So, and what, was there a clear ramp up year that you hit where it was like this year is the one that has just launched this to the next level? Um, well, if I would pick two years, it's 96, the, the first edition where we thought, oof, this is a, a show which is, which is going beyond our, our expectations. Um, and then the 2008 first world tour with events in Mammoth Mountain, California, in, in Sochi, Russia, in, in Tignes, France, and in Verbier, um, we understood that a series of events with a platform of communication which lasts longer than just a week um, and which makes it, makes, it, makes it much more efficient for, for riders, for partners to, to associate with. So, um, and, and then obviously, that there are the years where a candidate um, comes on the tour, wins it, um, and and uh, prior to the tour, a lot of people were saying, well, you know, Candid's a great skier, but he's a freestyler. Uh, he will not perform on mountains like Bec de Ross, and, and actually he placed third on Bec de Ross and, and did a really, really gnarly um, controlled line. And at the bottom of the mountain, uh, a journalist asked him if he was a freestyler or a free rider, and he just answered, "Well, I'm I'm a skier." And right. that was that was a that um, sums it up. I think. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a cool moment. That's that's one thing that I always wonder, and I'm sure a lot of people wonder that is when you have a Candide or a guy like Tanner Hall who takes a season wild card you know we obviously we've seen travis rice take wild cards for events and things like that but a season wild card for for tanner hall who's a huge name in skiing like what kind of impact does that have to the success that season of the world tour is does the show speak for itself regardless of the name value or does it adding a name value like Candide or, or tanner does that just bring things to the next level oh it, it clearly brings it to the next level um both in terms of um their their skiing their their personality their audience um, but also um, as a, a message to the to the next generation that um, that that this is what they want to do <laughs> and and that's why they're gonna train hard um, ski hard uh, participate in junior events participate and, and battle on the qualifier to 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 make it to the tour um, so, so it clearly has um, a driving force. No doubt. And, and you, you bring up the junior events and that was one thing I wanted to ask you about is obviously we're seeing these junior, the, there's an incredible junior program in North America and in Europe as well. And, and the athletes that we're seeing coming out of junior into qualifier, then onto the world tour. It's just, they're, they're no longer like, you know, I'm 38 years old, right? And I've been competing in big mountain skiing for over 10 years. And we're, we're all from different backgrounds and we're just a, a mishmash of, of different abilities. And we never had coaches and we never had junior programs. And now what you're seeing is, is free ride skiers from 10 years old. These guys are actually free ride skiers. What is that going to do to the future of the tour? Do you, do you see that all these world champions to come in the future. If you didn't start at 10 years old in free ride, good luck to you. You're never going to make it. Or do you think there's still going to be a place for these people coming from other disciplines and from all over the world of skiing that might, might be able to still compete? Or are these kids just going to be untouchable? Um, I, I would be 
I would tend to say that these kids will be untouchable because, um, as you said, today still you can come from from the Alpine or or, or border cross or, or freestyle and and still make a podium. There's obviously some some exceptions and and, and incredible talents, but today guys like um, like um, uh, Ross Tester, Cooper Basgate. Uh, uh, James Hampton and, and, and Raymond McDermott to to speak of the the North Americans that qualified for for, for this World Tour. I, I remember them on 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 junior events at that Junior World Championships, and these guys are 19, 20, and as you said, they have 10 years of, of freeride com- competitive experience, and that is something you can't catch up just like this. So. Um, so the, the progression is 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 incredible, like it is in other sports. Uh, but um, yeah. but uh, it, it is it is incredible. And and speaking of things we we didn't anticipate is the lines we see now on 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 Bec de Ross compared to the to what we saw 25 years ago. It's like it's it's going five times faster. And it's jumping ten times further. Uh, plus we have we have flips either horizontal or vertical <laughs> included in those jumps and uh, and what is really good is that there are there are few few falls and loss of control so the whole message of safety uh, being uh, what what the judges want to see is a controlled run um, has made its way and is is a is a clear part of the sport which is essential yeah, so that was an interesting, that was another point that I was going to bring up. So you just kind of touched on it there was that over the years, obviously, probably directly correlated to the junior program is we've seen this, this evolution of, of riding and this evolution of skills, particularly we've seen it, it seems like in the women's level more than anything, it's been crazy to see the progression there. I, when I was speaking with Rena, you know, he one of his takes was that it was also maybe a little bit due to the changing of the venues over the years that we're seeing a different style of riding. Do you think that the venues play a, a, a big part of it, or do you think it is just simply progression? This is, we're seeing tricks on the Bec de Russ that we didn't see, or or is it that it is more freestyle oriented because of some of the venue choices? Um, I I think both <laughs> both are right. Um, at some stage. Clearly, um, the general consensus was uh, Verbier Extreme is great, but it's 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 a bit too extreme. Um, it's it's too gnarly. If you fall, you ragdoll. Uh, therefore, you'll you'll never see flips and and, and tricks. Um, so we did, and just by nature, um, you, you don't find such such steep faces everywhere in the world. And and we thought it was good and important to have different types of mountains for, for a world tour. Um, so we had, we had mountains, um, which, which able more, more freestyle. Um, it did bring that freestyle element in the sports. And now we see this element brought to, to the Bec de Ross. So, um, it's sort of the, the, the circle now is complete and, um, right. And it's um, it's uh, it's good to see that it's not two types of 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 riders, the big mountain riders against the freestylers. It's now um, a mix, and and the the guys that will win the overall and that will be contending will, will have to have both skills, um, and that's that's good. Once again, yeah. like like Candid said. Uh, uh, they're skiers. <laughs> well, well, a well-rounded athlete at the end of yeah. the day. Like a, a case yeah. in point would be Vadik Gorak's run on the the Bec de Ross. So, you know, he had a he had a beautiful big mountain line that you could have skied just straight, and 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 it would have scored very well. And we saw other yeah. athletes ski it straight. Oh but yeah, he, Marcus he, Eder, uh, Leo Slemet. Uh, yep. Did, did, yep. did not did not only backflip, uh, but um, but but brought a real slope style approach to such a mountain um with with natural features which makes it so much more difficult and uh but when it clicks it's it's magical 
So what, while I'm here and I've got you, obviously the, the big thing that, that everybody would want me to ask you is about the venue, the, 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 the recipe for the venues. And when I say venues, I'll just call it, we have the country, we have the city, we have the host resort, we have the actual face. I'm not, we're not just talking about the face, we're talking about that whole recipe that goes into choosing these venues. Obviously, it's one of the most controversial, talked about points that, that the spectators and the fans like to, to argue about. I've got you on the line now. What is the what are some of those key elements that goes into that recipe to, to choose? Um, it's it's as you said, much more complex than just the mountain. Um, right. As as we need to to finance uh, those competitions, and and the finance is is ninety percent um, sponsorship from the destination, so from the resort and its region. Uh, and from from uh, corporate sponsors, um, and so it would be great to say, well, if if I was um, managing the world tour, I would have one stop in Alaska, one stop in in BC, uh, one stop in um, mainland US, one stop in Russia, one stop in Japan, and then uh, three or four in Europe in 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 the top uh, mountain areas. But then the reality is, um, you need the support of of the destination, and and we're speaking of events that cost uh, an average of eight hundred thousand US per per stop. That right. includes um, prize money, um, fifty athletes being invited, uh, and for 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 ten days. Um, a staff of 50 that includes the whole webcast and, and TV production, the marketing, um, communication, um, and the business model is that, and the proposal to to resorts and destinations is that they cover half of it. Right. Okay. So so we're speaking of a of, of a budget of of three to four hundred thousand US dollars, and and there's many many resorts that would want to host the Fred World Tour, but just don't don't have this money. Um, and um, and that's why, uh, especially since we, we lost our title sponsor, Swatch, in, in 2017. Right. At that time, we, we could afford to go to Alaska uh, without a local host resort paying half of the budget. But um, reality... Uh, is that uh, they they stopped? We didn't replace them. We could. We still think we can. Uh, we will in the future, but but so far we haven't. Therefore, the Alaskan stop was was over, um, and that's part of the that's part of the the business, if I can speak so. Um, yeah. And and we can spend what we earn. Um, we're trying to to optimize. Uh, the value for, for those resorts for the, for the sponsors and then we we are investing every penny we we, we can we can make and um, and we've we've grown um, in terms of in terms of overall budget um, in terms of uh, of audience uh, but it's it's a fragile equilibrium and balance um, because uh, because tomorrow Audi can can say well we're not into winter sports anymore, and it's not like we can replace them uh, easily. Um, right. So yeah. so so we are dependent on on sponsorship and um, and uh, that's, let's, that's the let's, game. Let's let's say that this that we have secured a, a title sponsor and everything's going well. I want to touch base on 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 Alaska because you brought that up and obviously we've seen some events there and they were some of the most memorable images that we've seen on the Freeride World Tour. With with the title sponsor taken care of and all the, the financing aside, logistically, is it a go back to destination in Alaska or was it just too difficult from a logistics standpoint? Oh, it was extremely difficult, uh, but we, we went there three times and we had two excellent events and, and one good event um, with some false starts uh, back and forth uh, shuttling people on the mountain 
um, with helis and and a, and a logistical nightmare, but <laughs> it was it was worth it. Um, so so yes, if we have if we find a new sponsor, we will we will at least consider and, and try going back to Alaska. I'm sure there's probably many Americans that uh, are listening that that might be riders or might be fans of the Freeride World Tour that are wondering if there's anything in the works to come back to America, because that is kind of the the big left out nation right now. There's a lot of riders yeah. on the tour that are American, but there's no stop in, in the United States. I'll speak on their behalf right yeah. now. Is is that in the works at all? It is in the works, but... Um, Business models of North American resorts uh, uh, is very different from from the rest of the world. Um, we today uh, have the budget for one event in North America, and um, and we have a very good partnership with uh, Kicking Horse Golden and Destination British Columbia, which um, uh, made us decide to that this would be the the stop, even if it's in Canada, which is a smaller country than than the U.S. But the whole mix of um, the the venues there and the the partners there uh, made us uh, make that decision. It is a priority for us to have a, a world tour stop in the U.S. because it's in terms of number of riders, very simply the the, the nation number one but today we we are we haven't found so far um a resort that uh is willing to invest um what what is necessary to to host an event there um but we are working uh on it and uh, i'm pretty sure we will we will um um have a a u.s stop in the short medium term Awesome. Okay, I'm. I'm not going to keep you too much longer. I promise. <laughs> I've got. I still got a few more though. While we're on the venues, I, we got to talk about Japan because uh, you and I met in Japan last year. Beautiful country. I would almost call it a, a, a love-hate relationship for a, a lot of the fans and riders that that uh, think about Hakuba. It's, it's the most fantastic place to visit. The the food, the culture, the people are amazing. The, there's been a little bit of hate on the side of some of the venues that that there are to choose from. Uh, in on the ground in Hakuba. What is the future of the world tour in, in Japan and in Hakuba? It seems like a great relationship there. And are, is there some bigger venues that the world tour will be able to get on there? Or is it just going to be, this will be a freestyle, uh, more freestyle oriented event than others. And, and that's the end of, of story there. Um, the, 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 the relationship is really good with Hakuba and there are many, many, um, potential venues it's, it's also been very difficult to organize a solid event there just because the weather um, changes super fast and is much less predictable than than in other than in other countries uh, but but we've had one very good event uh, the one travis uh, wins uh, two years yep. ago um and um we believe this kind of venue is is part of of what what freeriders uh, do do ride uh, when they are in Japan. Yes, there are bigger mountains in the in the back country, but um, one has to know that you cannot fly helicopters in in Japan. Uh, this is a natural reserve, and and going to these peaks. Uh, by foot, uh, with the whole logistics of a of a live uh, uh, web show, is 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 not realistic. So um, it will be um, mostly what we've seen, uh, at least in the in the short term. Okay, I want to, you touched on the broadcasting there. I want to jump to that really quick because that was another point that was well discussed on social media was the yeah. the broadcast whether it was live or whether this past year typically it was the broadcast were live but this ta past year there was a tape delay broadcast which was great because the, the secret was well kept by everyone as to what the results were and then ultimately a polished version was was put out of the of the event broadcast the consensus seemed to be to my surprise because i i enjoyed the polished version myself but there the, the overwhelming consensus seemed to be that the live 
broadcast is what's preferred by most people. Is that the the future of uh, of the world tour, or is it just going to depend on the given situation with the, the particular venue? It, it it is the latest. So um, yes, if you can propose a live webcast, then it's always better than a, than a delayed uh, show. Um, reality in Japan uh, and also reality we faced uh, at least uh, twice in, in, in Canada is that um, to be ready with a live webcast at the right time, which is if we take Kicking Horse uh, 8.30 in the morning, um, takes, takes um, some luck in addition to, to hard work. And this means that if you're not ready at, at 8.30, uh, with your live webcast, you're going to delay the start of the event. And this means that the last third of the field of riders will will ride in shade and in, and in bad uh, visibility condition. Right. Um, so this is precisely what made us decide to not compromise the, the riding um, conditions uh, to 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 favor a, a, a live. Um, in Japan, it, it is the same. We, we cannot um, uh, lift, uh, we cannot use a heli to lift loads of, of material and, and a live webcast, even if you do it as light as possible, is still a couple of tons of material. So all this was, was um, brought on the backs of, of, of people. And there again, if you say it must be alive, the whole gear is bigger and the whole setup time is longer. And therefore, you may not be ready when the riders will be ready at the top of the mountain and the snow will be good and you know that you have a three-hour window and that in four hours it could be foggy and snowy. Um, so if you choose to go for a live webcast, whatever it takes, you are compromising the, the, the riding and the, and the conditions. And we made the choice to not compromise that. Um, we did some communication errors last year in Japan, not explaining this uh, well enough so that on social media, uh, we, we, we had a shitstorm, um, <laughs> which, is, which is fine and which is part of, um, you know, an, an organizer's life. You, you cannot always uh, do things um, right. Uh, as long as you, you believe in what you do and, and, you, and, and you have good reasons to do so and, and, and you explain them as, as well as possible. So, so it was not, um, it was not a, a financial motivation. Uh, yes, a delayed um, show costs a little less, but it's also a hassle because you have to be ready uh, 36 hours after, after the event. Otherwise, it's... it's and, and you have to imagine that you have seven cameras, uh, 50 GoPros, you bring all that down from the mountain and you have four to five editors that are working nonstop to, to come out with something that um, should be good. The, the Japanese show was okay. The, 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 the show in, in Kicking Horse uh, a month later was, was, was pretty good. Um, so... So we are still on, 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 on this mode. And another small piece of that recipe too is that you also have a significant group of people involved in that event that need to keep a secret for, <laughs> for a few days. So that, that could obviously, how did, how did that work? Because the secret didn't get out. I mean, I'm in the inside. I know a lot of the people and uh, yeah. that are involved and it, it was well kept. So how did you guys yeah. manage that? Well, we, we obviously we, we knew that there was a risk. Um, we we spoke to the riders and to the to the couple of people who were on site, um, and and had faith that they would uh, they would keep it. And they are smart. They know what was at stake. Uh, they knew what was at stake, and and they just they were just professional and and smart. And uh, that's that's one of the good. Good thing to 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 work in this industry is that you have individuals that know that it's that know that it's hard um, to find money to uh, structure 
um, such a tour, and and they are they are partners. They're not just writers. It's a, it's a whole group that has the same goal, um, and it was good to see that it worked. Yeah, beautiful. Well, I know I'm running out of time here, but I, I have I'd be remiss if I did not ask you about the qualifier tour, and yeah. I want to just discuss about the differences right now between North America and Europe. Obviously, just to bring people up to speed, if, if they don't know, in North America, we have a tour uh, that uh, for the qualifier tour, the events, the rules are a little bit different than the rules that take place in Europe. I've competed in both places. The difference being in North America, the biggest difference of all is that in North America, the inspections are allowed to take place on venue, meaning you get close to the features, you get on the features, you can bring a coach onto the venue and you get intimately involved with the venue prior to your run down the venue. And also as you're doing your run down the venue, you don't actually need to have avalanche gear. You don't need to have a backpack with you. Whereas in Europe, it's, it's a visual inspection only. You're to use binoculars, you to use your, your eyes from a distance to be able to scout your, your features. And that is more in line with the rule book of the Freeride World Tour. So we have these two different worlds that uh, th they have their own rule sets, yet they funnel athletes upwards to the same ultimate destination, which is the Freeride World Tour. And we see athletes come from both worlds. It doesn't it doesn't seem to be a huge disadvantage because we just saw Isaac Freeland win the overall this past year, and he came from the North American tour and had never done a visual inspection before. But I wanted to get your take on this environment with the two different worlds and how it is producing athletes to the same destination with different uh, upbringings, if you will. Do you think that's a factor or it's a non-issue? Well, we thought it would be a, a much bigger issue than what it is. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, Isaac Freeland uh, um, did understand the whole the whole um, system and integrated it so well that he could he could win the tour on his first year. Um, obviously, um, it's it's historical and structural differences uh, in North America. When you go out of bounds, you are actually in bounds. And and the resort has has done AVI safety, um, and they don't request you to to have AVI gear with you. Uh, but I think that the awareness about AVI gear is is growing in in North America, despite this aspect, because there is still a chance that one of your buddies or anybody gets gets covered, and and if you have nothing to, to take him out. Um, you, you will you will have a, a really bad time um, in in Europe. As soon as you leave uh, a piste, uh, you are out of bounds and you are on your own, and, and you need this this um, avigir and the the knowledge of how to use it. Um, we did decide not to have on-site inspection just to preserve snow and to have the best possible images. Um, it, it does, and it did um, educate riders on, on line scoping. Um, and, and a lot of riders like, like Xavier Delory or even Candide told me I was a much better free rider after competing on the tour because, because I had to imagine a line from, from the other side of the valley and then, and then deliver it on a, on a one go uh, without knowing exactly what I would see on that. Uh, jump exit and and the good news is that last year in in kicking horse for the qualifier four star they actually did use that system and they did not allow an, an on-site inspection because it had just snowed and they thought they wouldn't want to to trash that venue and the event went on very well so um we are going, I think, towards a mix. There'll always be on-site inspection. It's also a safety aspect in North America because often the, the venues that are chosen are inbounds and, and have been skied by, by, by the regular clients for, for days or weeks. And therefore, the snow is, is harder. And, and it, it, it's a good thing that riders can, can, uh, can check out their exits and and lines so i think it's just the 
the plurality and the, 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 the different cultures that that bring their their influences and um, and it's good to have that and to to have different influences it it enrich the the final the final product no doubt and one other point i wanted to get to you on the qualifiers about was there's very popular qualifier event in, in your home region, actually, at the Mongo and in Nenda, which is yeah. uh, a two-day event, and it's a four-star world qualifier two-day event. And then that was something that we used to see here in North America a lot, which was a qualifier day and then a final day, and there yeah. was a cut, a cut after the first day. And what is your take on that format? We're not seeing that format very much either in North America or in Europe, apart from, I think, Nenda and maybe another couple of qualifiers in North America that do it. Do you think that that is a, a feasible format for, for a free ride event, or do you think the one day is the way that it should be? Um, if you have the time and the money, and if you have venues where you can, that you can use in, in bad weather, then it's great to go for multiple day uh, contests because it just gives more riding to the, to the riders. Now, um, if, if you have to have two good weather days in a short period, um, that obviously um, uh, high, uh, pushes the risk uh, that, that you, you, you don't have two good days. Um, and then you have to choose if you do the quali on the only good day and, and, and you could have used that good day for finals, uh, possibly on another venue. So, so it... it the equation is is much much more complex if you go for a multi-day event. But um, once again, it depends on the venues you have um, at disposal and uh, and the weather window you have at disposal. Right. I okay. I'm not going to keep you much longer. I just got a few quick ones before we wrap this up here. Uh, obviously, you talked earlier about Swatch and about. The, the loss of that key sponsor a few years back. That we also saw the disappearance of the Swatch Gears Cup. Uh, is that event that we're going to see coming back one day, or what is the status of, of the Skiers Cup? Oh, we'd we'd love to see it come back, um, but um, but we haven't found the money to to um, to stage it again. Um, that's as simple as that but it's a really cool format uh, match play continental teams super easy to understand uh super cool um uh, experience for the for the guys who are together for for a week um and i think it will it will come again but uh it's just in the in the freezer for a couple of of years <laughs> okay i want i also want to get your take on the king and queens of corbett's which is a popular event that's taken place yeah. here in north america and it's very popular live cast and it's it's basically a one feature free ride event meaning that everybody's just hitting this one feature and and it's a it's a meat hucking contest if you want to call it that is that something that would ever be of interest to, to the free ride world tour to put it to stage a side event that would be a one feature or something similar to that effect <laughs> Why not? Um, one, one, one thing we, we, we didn't discuss, um, but, but before I speak about that point, uh, we have, we, we've been in contact uh, with, with Jackson and the organizers of um, King and Queens of Corbett, and, and we are very close to, to putting a, a sort of um, a cross-communication um, collaboration with them, with their okay. winners being... being uh, uh, wildcard for for the for the event in north america and vice versa um and what i wanted to also mention is that um the the sport on our side is is driven by a, a pro riders board um with with nine representative of, of, of the athletes and men um women uh, snowboarders and and skiers and the whole format um, of the events, the judging aspects, the, the, the qualifying aspects are discussed with them um, because we believe and the sport should be driven by, by the athletes. Otherwise, at some stage, it, it won't make any sense to them and, and, and the interest will go down. So if tomorrow um, they come and they unanimously say Freeride World Tour should be a one-hitter, um, we would go that way. Um, right. So so far, um, um, it's not the case, but it doesn't mean there's no interest 
for for that kind of 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 format. Um, but at, at this stage, uh, um, at this stage, it's um, yeah, it, it's just this, the same same um, riders for for many of them. And as we mentioned earlier, the, the freestyle component has become more more important on the Fred World Tour. So, so yes, we are That's we are sister events or, or, or cousin events. I don't know how we want to call them. Excellent. Well, that's a, that's some news. That's a, that's a scoop. So just to clarify that, I, maybe this hasn't been released yet or maybe it's not finalized yet, but the, the idea is that whoever becomes the king or queen of Corbett's would potentially be wildcarded a, a, a tour uh, wildcard or they'd be wildcarded in an event wildcard? The idea was first to go for an event wildcard. Um, okay. Okay. In in uh, and, and and in kicking horse, um, and and then vice versa, the winners in kicking horse would be invited for the king and queens of Corbett. Wow. That's that's what we discussed with um, with the organizers there. Uh, it it didn't happen last year. It, it it got lost in translation with the pandemic. And uh, but I'm, I'm I'm sure we'll discuss it soon again. Excellent. We will, we'll keep on the lookout for that. Okay, well, I'm going to let you go. The, the one last thing I want to bring up here before uh, before we wrap this up is there's no secret that, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a father myself. My daughter's three now, and she's at this the skiing age where we're about to start to try to figure this thing out. She's not super keen right yet, but uh, there's no secret that there's there's two uh, young Hale Woods athletes out there and they're uh, killing it in the junior scene and in the world qualifier scene. Was that ever something that you could have ever foreseen? You know, this is something I think of as a father, like, is this the ultimate dream as a parent for you to see your kids getting into this crazy world that you've developed? Or is it a nightmare? You're like, oh my God, I don't want to watch this. I don't want to see what they're doing. Like, how do you, what type of parent are you watching those, those guys go out and crush it on in, in your series? Um, well, well, first of all, I, I love watching them ski. If if I if I wasn't, there would be something wrong with between my, my <laughs> private and, and professional life. Um, their, their mother is not exactly the same. Sometimes she turns her head away, but um, no, it was never a dream because um, I think that it's wrong to have dreams for your kids. Uh, it can it can usually go go south when you push or when you you show them that you hope they will do this or this. They just had fun, um, uh, had a, a, a good group of friends, and then and then a coach uh, that we organized just for safety reasons um, to to bring them the basics of. Of, of, of safety and, and, and riding and choosing a line. And then they just had fun and, um, and um, they're, they're good. They're, they're not killing it, like you said, but, uh, but it's always a pleasure <laughs> to, to, to hear it. Um, and, and yeah, for, for a father, it, it's just great to see, to see your kids uh, uh, practice the sport with passion and, and that's what's happening uh, and it was also a great source of inspiration for me in terms or let's say great feedback source uh, in terms of what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong and, and ideas about about how the free ride world tour should develop. So um, pretty lucky. Yeah, beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, Nico, thanks so much, man. Well, we uh, Before we go, I guess I'll just ask, is there anything else uh, that we've missed that's new this this year i know every year you guys have something new going on did i miss on anything is there any other secrets out there that are are to come out that you want to divulge right now or or have we covered it no i think we've i think we've covered it pretty well all um, right well uh, fingers crossed man I, th I know that it's a crazy time and i know that it's chaotic but uh, i know if anybody is up to the job it's you guys and uh, i wish everybody the best i hope that everybody stays healthy <laughs> Yes. And and uh, I can't wait to see you guys out on the mountain this coming year. Thanks so much for doing this. Thank you, Nick. Uh, we'll we'll hang on, and uh, it will it will happen at some stage. You heard it. You heard it, folks. All right. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Thank you. Bye, bye, Nick. That is the show, folks. That is a gentleman right there. Thank you very much for the time, Nico. That was a pleasure. And if you guys want to know more about the Freeride World Tour, 
log on to freerideworldtour.com. And like I said during the podcast, you should definitely check out the 25 candles on the Bec de Russe, uh, on the Freeride World Tour YouTube. It's, it's a crazy cool photo that they did. And with all the things that are going on this year, I can just hope that we're gonna get some Freeride World Tour events that go down. I'm excited for it. Hopefully we get some good qualifier events too. It's gonna happen, people. One way or the other, keep the faith. We're gonna have a season. So thanks again to Nico, and thanks to all of you for listening. Catch you on the next episode.